uh, we're glad that you're with us today. And uh, we're glad that you took time to come and worship with us. And in just a few moments, we're going to get into the word. And our prayer for you today is that you would hear the voice of the Lord, that God would speak to you by his spirit, and that you would be encouraged in this place. We're going to finish up a series of messages that we've been in called Beauty for Ashes. Uh, we have been looking deeply um, at words that Jesus quoted about himself from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 61 in particular, uh, the prophet Isaiah speaking of the Messiah that was to come, uh, made some declarations about the Messiah and specifically he talked about an exchange that, would, that the Messiah uh, would execute, an exchange between an old identity, a broken identity and a new identity. And, and there were three exchanges that the prophet Isaiah spoke about uh, but the first one was he said he would take away our ashes and give us a crown of beauty for those ashes. And so what we've been doing is we've been looking at what does that mean? How does that work? Jesus, when he began his earthly ministry, he got up and he read that scroll really as a way of inaugurating his ministry and letting the world know the Messiah is here. And then he went about the business of doing his ministry and demonstrating the kingdom. And so we've been looking at some of the episodes in the life and ministry of Jesus as he really made practical what it meant to exchange beauty for ashes. As we've gone through this series, we've, we've learned a couple of kind of key terms that helps us to understand what we're talking about. Remember, this is a series that really is about seeing and being seen. When Jesus said, I've come to exchange your ashes for beauty, he was saying, I've come to see you as you were intended, as you were created in the image of God and to restore you to that place. I see you for who you truly are meant to be and I want you to see yourself and to see others that way as well. We've sort of summed this concept up with um, a word called, or a phrase called attributive dignity. Attributive dignity means the intentional and active choice to push past the distortion, sin, brokenness in the world, all of those things creates a distortion field. Attributive dignity is the intentional and active choice to push past the distortion and to see individuals as image bearers, as the imago Dei in the image of God, and to call them to the place of living that out. That's certainly what Jesus has done for every one of us in this room. He sees us in the image of God. He came to earth to call us out of our brokenness and to call us into living out the image of God and then to join him in the process of doing that in the lives of others. As we've learned during this series, not only is, is God at work through the, through the ministry of Christ, working the work of attributive dignity for you and I, but we have an enemy, the enemy of our soul, on the other hand, is about the business of regressive dignity. Regressive dignity is the intentional and active choice to draw an individual back into their brokenness and reduce them to those things which are an expression of their distortion. 
So we've been learning as we've been looking at these stories that Christ is at work in us, calling us into our dignity as children of God. But the enemy of our soul, on the other hand, is at work trying to pull us back into our brokenness, pulling us back into the distortion that sin and disease and sickness and all of the things that are brought on by the curse, he's tried to pull us back into those things. Very quickly, I want to remind you of the four things that we've learned through the four messages that we've shared so far. Let me just say this, if uh, you'd like to listen to any of these messages, you could go onto our website or our social media. You can download the podcast, the previous messages to get caught up with what we're talking about today. But the first, the first thing that we learned during uh, week one of this series is we learned that blame is weaponized to block the blessing. If you remember, uh, we talked about how People have a tendency and we have a tendency that when we see someone or even ourselves facing challenges, it's easy to get into the blame game. And we get so caught up trying to find out who did it, who's at fault, that we live in that space. And what's really sad is when we become so religious and self-righteous that our self-righteousness really becomes a block to living in the blessing or the design that God has created for us. Blame is weaponized. It becomes a tool that keeps us from living in the fullness of the image of God. I know that I've found in my own life that I can get into a place where I'm so caught up in needing to know who did it, why, why did this happen, that I'm not free to receive and live all that God has for me. The second thing that we learned during this series is that beauty is not found in my own human strength. In other words, there's, there's nothing I can do on my own to really live out the glory of God. I'm not enough. My righteousness is as filthy rags. The beauty that Christ is offering to us, that crown of beauty, it doesn't come through our own strength. Instead, it comes as I lean into Christ's strength. As I learn to recognize that I'm not enough and I'll never be enough, but that he has provided more than enough. And when I come to that place where I rest in his more than enough, I can truly live in the blessings that he has for me. Everything in my life, everything in my world teaches me I've got to fight for it. I've got to make it happen. All the while, Christ is telling us, come and rest, come and receive that concept of ashes for glory. If you if you're not understand, if you don't understand that biblical motif in 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 the days of these people, they would literally put when something bad happened in their lives, they would literally cover their head in ashes and they would walk around. They would walk around with ashes on their head so that everyone they came in contact with, with them would see this person is undone. They're at the end of themselves. They have nothing left to offer the world. And what we have learned together is that when we come to the place that we embrace our weakness, when we embrace that, that, that place of I am undone and I am in need, it's at that place that we really get the opportunity to step into the beauty and the blessing that God has for us. The third thing that we learn in this series is that normalizing dysfunction is actually the rejection of deliverance. This one was huge. I think it was a huge week for us as we, um, as we were sharing this series, because I think we, how can I put this? I think we just don't realize how much we've normalized dysfunction. You can't 
You can't watch the news. You can't watch television. You can't engage media at all without constantly being inundated with the normalization of dysfunction. And we've come to a place in our world and in our society where there's so much pressure. There's so much pressure to normalize dysfunction, to just act like it doesn't exist, like it's not a problem. That the more that we move in that direction, the more that we move in that direction, the further away we move from the crown of beauty that Christ has for us. We have to come to a place as followers of Jesus Christ that we recognize that attributive dignity isn't me looking at you and saying, oh, you know what, Randy? Yeah, I know you've got this, uh, I know you've got this sin in your life, or I know you've got this dysfunction in your life, or I know this thing has happened in your life, but don't worry about it. It's meaningless. You're so great. That's not attributive dignity. Attributive dignity is acknowledging the brokenness in my life and saying there is an alternative to that, and it's God's best. That's good stuff right there. It's about acknowledging my brokenness and saying God has more for you than that. Not just ignoring it or acting like it isn't there. If you weren't here for week three of this series, you need to go listen to that. We can't just ignore the crazy naked guy in the tombs. But that's what we're doing. That's how we're living. The fourth week, last week, we learned that the enemy of our soul is not threatened by our healing. He is threatened. The kingdom of the enemy is threatened. It's shaken. When you and I really come to a place where we come out of the shadows and we live in the fullness of our story that Christ is writing about us. Jesus wasn't content to let the woman who had had the issue of blood walk away with her healing in silence. He called her forward and said, hey, everybody, listen to her story. All of you people are crowding around me and all of you people are trying to get at me, but this woman touched me because this woman had faith. God is speaking to every one of our lives and he's calling us out of the shadows. Attributive dignity isn't just you get healed and you go on. Attributive dignity is you get healed and you get fully restored to the place God always intended for you to be. It's looking at you and seeing you as God created you and then calling you to live in that place. It wasn't enough that she was just healed and walked away still scared of the crowd. Jesus said, there's no reason for you to be scared. You've been made whole. So many of us come to church. We come to Jesus. We pray a prayer. We, we do all of that stuff, but we still live with fear and brokenness. We still live with the labels. We still live with the rejection. We still live with the brokenness. And all the while, God has called us to a place where we put a crown of beauty on our head and say, that's not who you are anymore, my son. That's not who you are, my daughter. Well, we're going to keep moving forward in that story that we started last week from Mark chapter 5. I want to read verses 35 through 43 to you. It says this, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with the people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? 
The child is not dead, but asleep. Get this. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by hand and said to her, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this, and he told them to give her something to eat. We have been comparing the, the role and the work of the enemy and the work of Christ. We've been comparing regressive dignity and attributive dignity and as we look at this story this morning, I want you to see, first of all, that regressive dignity is reductionist by nature. Always where you see regressive dignity at work, you see reductionism. It's reduct to be reductionist means that I reduce this complicated, this beautiful, this complex thing to its simplest form, its simplest thing. I reduce it down. When you look at this story, you see that Jesus has performed a series of incredible miracles. He's went to the man among the tombs and he's delivered this man from thousands of demons. Kicked out of the place because the people were scared, more scared of the deliverer than they were the, the problem. And so they sent Jesus away, he's come back, the crowd was there waiting on him because they've heard all about these incredible miracles that he's done and, and, and they, he hears about this girl and her need for healing and so they're on their way to the house and of course we learned last week he was stopped because this woman touched him and he stopped the crowd and he said, hey, what, who's touched me? And again, you know the story from last week and and then as they start back up after this incredible miracle has happened with this woman, all of a sudden, people come from the synagogue leader's house and they say, hey, you know what, don't bother the teacher anymore. She's dead. It's over. It's gone. It's over. Leave him alone. As we read this story, I just want to point something out to you that you may not recognize because it's easy to read the story and to think, wow, this poor woman who has dealt with this issue of blood and, and she's lost everything. And, and then you read about the synagogue leader and you think, oh man, he's important, he's wealthy, he has all the stuff. But I think what we often miss is the same level of risk that the woman with the issue of blood took by pushing through the crowd and coming to Jesus, the synagogue leader was taking the same level of risk by coming to Jesus. Understand that in, that in that time in Jesus' ministry, tension was being, beginning to build up between him and the religious institutions of the day. His ministry had been affirmed by John the Baptist, and so as a result, that was definitely putting him at odds with the Roman uh, occupation, but it was also putting him at odd with, odds with temple leadership and synagogue leadership because John the Baptist was everybody's enemy. He was this crazy man in the wilderness who was calling them all a brood of vipers and everything else. So no one was a fan of John, at least no one among the religious leaders. And Jesus had been affirmed by John, and now this man, this ruler of the synagogue, has come to such a place of desperation 
that he himself has to push back. Just like the woman had to push through all of the things that she pushed through to get to Jesus, this ruler of the synagogue had to push through all of the social and cultural pressure that would have been on him to get to Jesus because he was desperate. His daughter was dying. Imagine what it must have been like to be that ruler of the synagogue. You're, you're in the crowd. They're moving towards your house. And all of a sudden, Jesus stops. Who touched me? You're seeing all of this play out in front of you. Have you ever been in a place in life where it seemed like other people were being blessed, but everything in your life was going wrong? Just, just me? Ever, you ever been in a place in life where, if you think about it even further, it almost seems like the more somebody else is blessed, the more you're hurting? And if you, if you really think about it, it almost feels like their blessing is becoming your pain. Imagine what it must have been like. Here's this woman. She's called out before Jesus. Now he's going to have this conversation with her. And while it's a beautiful thing, you can't help but think, my daughter is home. She's dying. If we delay any longer, is she going to be alive? Why does he keep talking? Why does he keep asking questions? Why is he delaying things? I, I, I said this in the uh, first service. I almost think somewhere in the lineage, Jesus and the lineage of Durban must be linked somehow. Because if you read the New Testament, he was late all the time. <laughs> like he was especially late when people were dying. Like the worse things got, the slower. <laughs> Imagine what it must have been like to be that ruler of the synagogue. You've risked everything to come to Jesus with your biggest need, your biggest hurt, your biggest pain, your biggest heartbreak, and he's taking his time to get there. And the thing about it, he's not just taking his time to get there. The slow process that is going on with him getting there, other people are being blessed and other people are being healed. And while that's all well and good, what about my daughter who's dying? What about my need? What about my miracle? And then the helpful people come to tell you, forget about it. She's dead. It's over. Regressive dignity is reductionist by nature. It continually pushes us and reduces us and reduces the situation to brokenness. Those people who came thought they were being helpful, but explain to me how it is that you can see Jesus deliver a demoniac. You can see Jesus heal a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, not to mention the other miracle after miracle after miracle that they had heard about Jesus that had undoubtedly brought this man to this place where he would seek Jesus out. And yet the crowd, the people said, well, she's dead. It's over. I said this earlier in the series. 
We have to get it deep in our spirits. Your identity, who you and, you and I are, you are not defined by what broke you. I wanted to repeat it today because it has to get deep in your spirit. And yet the crowd, although they had seen Jesus' miracles, although they had just literally had experienced Jesus' miracle, said, you know what, it's over. Jarius, you're defined by the brokenness. You're defined by what you can't control. It's over. Just give up. Just stop bothering the teacher. That's the work of the enemy. He just wants to keep bringing us to that place and pushing us to that place where the story's over. We're lost to that which broke us. And yet God is calling us to something beyond that. He says, you are not what you are not defined by that thing that broke you. On the other end of that regressive dignity is attributive dignity, and attributive dignity does something else. Attributive dignity chooses to focus by faith on what is true in the spirit. Notice when they came to Jesus and they said, they came and they said to Jairus, actually they said, it's over, let the master go. The Bible says that Jesus overheard. It's often interesting when you see in the gospels every time, Jesus was an eavesdropper also. He was late and he was an eavesdropper. It often says that he overheard. He overheard what they were saying and he said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. See, the thing, about, the thing about this life that God is calling us to, this life of a crown on our head, a beautiful crown, is it's a place where we have the identity and the dignity as a child of God that we recognize that we do, we do not live in fear. I've been so fascinated over the last couple of years. I grew, I, listen, I grew up in the church. My parents became Christians when I was right around the time I was born. And so I've grown up in the church my whole life. And so I've grown up around church people. I've grown up around passionate preaching and, and high energy spirituality. But I, I've been fascinated over the last couple of years to watch people that I've grown up with and grown up around and, and a church that I dearly love and have given my life to. I've watched over the last couple of years as I've seen the body of Christ almost paralyzed in fear over this virus that is going around. And, I, and I've, I've been so challenged by that. I don't, I don't understand it because I grew up my whole life singing about heaven being my home. I grew up singing about, does anybody remember the song, I'll Fly Away? Remember that song? Nobody Besides Me. I'm trying to think of the old, I, we just sang these songs about heaven and, and what life was going to be. And I grew up being taught that this life was just but a moment, that as a follower of Jesus Christ, the promise that I had was this life to come. I grew up being taught not to fear death. But for the last two years, it's as though we've just come to a place where we're utterly paralyzed in fear of death. And here's the thing about Jesus, is Jesus is not afraid of death. He kind of conquered it. He conquered death. Yeah, I'm telling you. Next week, you guys need to sit over here. They must have seed heaters in them or something. I don't know. He conquered death. See, attributive dignity is this place that we come to where we realize that we're not defined by what we're broken, but attributive dignity chooses to focus by faith on what is true in the spirit. 
Jesus said, listen, don't be afraid. Some of us need to hear those words today. Just believe. Well, what if, what if I get COVID? Well, 98% of the time, you're not going to die anyways. Oh, by the way. But if you do, you're going to heaven. Why are we scared of death when Jesus conquered it? Pastor, you're not being practical right now. No, I'm not. Because I've been taught my whole life to not be afraid of death. And I can't understand why we as the church have all of a sudden decided we have regressed to the place where the enemy paralyzes us with the very thing that Jesus conquered. With the very thing that Jesus came and defeated in his own sacrifice. It's regressive, and unfortunately, friend, we as the body of Christ have been behaving regressively. We've been walking around without a crown on our head, but with ashes. We're hopeless. We're helpless. I'm undone. I have no hope. All the while, Jesus said, I have conquered death, hell, and the grave. If the worst thing that can happen to you is that this body passes away, what victory is that for the enemy? Father has already secured your eternity through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Attributive dignity is coming to the place where I, by faith, take hold of that which is true in the spirit. Jesus knew in the spirit what the crowd didn't seem to understand. A lot of us, I've said this throughout the series, a lot of us have said, Jesus, if you'll just do one more miracle for me, if you'll just show me one more sign, then I'll believe. No, you won't. Because just like the crowd, there's always going to be one more miracle that is needed. One more thing that we want him to do. Either I believe or I do not. We're trying to hold Jesus hostage for one more miracle. And just like he ultimately told the crowd, I'm not giving you any more fish. I'm not giving you any more bread. Either you're going to believe that I'm the Messiah or you're not. We also have to come to a place where we embrace what is true. And what is true is that he has conquered death, hell, the grave, COVID, cancer, disease, divorce, sickness, bankruptcy. He's conquered it all. And as followers of Jesus Christ, regardless of my circumstance, I'm called to live in the freedom of an identity that says, I am, I am beyond all of this. See, but... But here's what happens. When you live that way and you act that way, guess what? People are going to laugh at you. He had just healed a woman from 12 years of bleeding. He had just delivered a demoniac. He had done all kinds of signs and wonders and miracles. And when he got there and he told the people, hey, what is all, of, what are, what are y'all crying for? What are you wailing for? Why are you acting like this? And they said, what are you talking about? Of course we're grieving. This woman, had, this little girl, this 12-year-old girl has just died. Jesus said, no, she's not dead. She's asleep. They laughed at him. Imagine the audacity of laughing at the Messiah. Oh, you're just, you're just being silly, Pastor Andy. 
how can we pray against a fourth wave of COVID? I mean, everywhere else in the world, they've had a fourth wave of COVID. So we're going to have it here in South Africa. That's just what has to happen. How silly of us to, to pray anything different or to believe anything different. I mean, it's just the way that it is. How can we believe him for our eternal salvation, but we can't believe him to stop the tide of a virus? Help me to compute that. How is it that you put your trust in him to save your soul, but we can't trust him to do a miracle in our nation and stop the onslaught of this virus? If we won't believe him now, when will we believe him? Well, after he does another miracle. After he shows me another sign. They laughed at him. See, here's the thing. Here's the thing about the dignity that the Lord gives us. It doesn't mean that we won't be laughed at and mocked by those who do not know him and do not understand him. It doesn't change anything about the way that others treat us. It changes the way that we think about ourselves and it changes the way that we think about others. See, a lot of us, a lot of us are waiting for the affirmation of the crowd until, so, until, until we get the affirmation of the crowd, we're not going to believe. All the while, God has called us to believe regardless of the crowd. In fact, here's what Jesus did. Jesus only brought three of the disciples with him and he cleared the room of everyone else. He said, I'm getting this nonsense out of here. I'm going to stop listening to this nonsense because I know what is true and they clearly do not. So I'm not going to listen to the nonsense. I'm not going to participate in the nonsense. I love you very much. I genuinely do. And I'm going to say something to you in sincere love. Some of us need to silence our WhatsApp. We come to church. Ezra sang so good today. Praise the Lord. The message was just for me. But before you get to work on Monday morning, you've read six articles about how the world's coming to an end. And the virus is coming to take us and the government is from here is going to do this. And all of these rumors and nonsense and negativity and we're feeding our soul things that contribute to our fear and our brokenness. We're feeding our soul and our mind things that contribute to the mentality that we are still slaves, that we are still broken, that we are still beat down, that we are still pressed on. We feed our souls all of this stuff that reminds us that we are helpless and hopeless. And then we wonder, where did my victory go? Then we wonder, where is my faith? Some of us need to push silent on that thing. I love you. I love you. But if you're going to feed yourself garbage all week long, that's going to do nothing but remind you of the brokenness of, of this world, guess where your heart and your head and your spirit is going to be? It's going to be dwelling in the brokenness of this world. Well, that just seems impractical. That seems silly. Yes. But what if, what, if, what if I don't know what's going to happen? I, I mean, I've got to read the article about why we really have load shedding. It doesn't matter. The lights are going off anyways, honey. It doesn't matter who corrupted who and what stole from. It does, you're not, we're not changing it. 
We got an ESCOM app. It works most of the time. And if it doesn't work, the lights are still going out. But I got to know this, and I got to know you don't. You don't need, you need to push out the crowd who keep reminding you of the brokenness and the helplessness. It's not changing anything. Last week I told you uh, that last song that we sang today, I said, hey, we're going to put that on repeat. We're going to put that on repeat. We're going to sing that again next Sunday. Why do you think I, I encourage you to do that? It's because we've got to come to a place where we're feeding ourselves stuff all week long that is reminding us of our identity in Christ, not reminding us of the lies and the brokenness of the enemy. If you keep feeding that, it's going to keep growing. If you keep feeding yourself stuff that reminds you of all that you've lost and all that is broken and all that is undone, that's certainly where you're going to live. Here's... Here's the thing, we serve a God who brings dead things back to life. He's not scared of death. He's not scared of death. And if you're his child, neither should you. He's not scared of death. He conquered death. He overcame death on your behalf and my behalf. And so if the, if the biggest thing the enemy can do to us is kill our body, so what? For those of us who are followers of Jesus, that is not the end. It is only the beginning. It is the beginning of what God has created us for, to rule and to reign with him, to put on the crown, the crown of beauty that identifies us as his children. We have been bought and redeemed by his blood. His blood gives us victory over all of the attacks of the enemy. His blood gives us victory over anything the enemy can do to us. Why are we paralyzed by fear? Why do we allow fear to rule in our hearts when our God is a God who can bring dead things back to life? He specializes in it. In fact, he said, you know what? Let me show you how it's done. I'm gonna allow, I'm gonna allow myself to be killed and I'm gonna bring myself back to life so that you get it, so that you understand it. There is nothing to fear. Attributive dignity is an exchange that restores healthy patterns and healthy pathways. I want you to see this. Jesus said to the girl, get up. And immediately she got up, started walking around. They were amazed. They were astonished. But the same pattern that we've seen in every one of these miracles takes place in this girl's life. He doesn't just perform the healing, he takes it further. Notice what he says. You probably have read this story many times, but notice what he said. When she got up and she walked around, he said, give her something to eat. Have you ever noticed that before? Why did he do that? Why did he say, give her something to eat? Well, if you've ever had a five-year-old before, you know exactly why he said, give her something to eat. If you've ever had a hangry spouse before, you know exactly why he said, give her something to eat. Because what, what does a hungry five-year-old say? If I don't, I'm going to die. If I don't, 
something to eat. Well, most of the time, we probably turn to that five-year-old and say, no, you're not. But the truth is, if they go long enough without something to eat, they're going to die. You can starve to death. Her body had been depleted and diminished by whatever had happened. And Jesus said, give her something to eat because she needed nourishment. It wasn't enough to bring her back to life. She had to have something in her life to sustain life. He didn't just heal her. He provided for her sustaining power to maintain life. I've said this several times in this series. I'm afraid that for many of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we have, we have experienced the miracle, but we haven't allowed the Lord to complete his work in us. And so we move from miracle to miracle to miracle. And then for between miracles, we experience death over and over again. All the while, what Jesus shows us in this pattern of attributive dignity in people's lives is he doesn't just do the miracle, but he pulls them forward into a life of living the miracle. Many of us have received the crown of beauty from Jesus, but we haven't learned how to walk with it. Have you ever tried to walk with balancing something on your head before? Anybody ever done that? Anyone needs lessons? I used to live in Swaziland. Those women are amazing. Like I've seen 10-liter buckets on people's heads. I don't know how they do it. Hello, you've seen it, right? You know it. Some of you guys can, gals can do it. It's incredible. But you got to learn how to, you got to learn how to balance that on your head, right? Some of us have received the crown of beauty, but we've never learned to walk with it. We're like, we get the crown and we're like, oh, look at me, look at me, look at me. But then we try to walk with it and it's going everywhere, right? This is why at North Place Church we say we are a disciple-making community. Because being a disciple doesn't mean I've just received my salvation. Being a disciple means I'm learning to live out my salvation. I'm learning to walk with it. I'm learning to balance that crown on my head. I'm learning to eventually carry it with dignity. So that when I walk into the room, I don't look like a crazy person who's scared and nervous, but I know, how to, I know how to carry it on my head. I know how to walk with it. I know how to act like it. I know, I, I know how to act like it belongs with me and I belong with it. You ever seen a little girl put on her mother's heels for the first time? You ever seen a boy put on his dad's shoes for the first time? Many of us as followers of Jesus Christ, we thought, oh, I, I'll get saved and everything, everything stops there. It's all going to get better. Well, yeah, it gets better, but there's a process of learning to live out that better. And the church has done a terrible job. We've programmed you to be consumers. If you show up on Sunday and you throw a little money in the offering, then everything's good. 
And we act like that's what it means to be a Christian. When that's not what the Bible teaches at all. What the Bible teaches us is that being a Christian is being a disciple. It's being a person who learns how to walk with that crown on your head every day. Not just on Sundays. Not just when things are good and the worship music is right and, the, and, and, and everything. It's every day I am a child of God. I'm not going to be shaken or swayed by circumstances and situation. When the crowd is around me and they're telling me all the negative stuff, I know how to push that negative stuff out of my life because I'm not going to listen to the junk. I'm going to silence the WhatsApp. I'm going to silence the naysayers. I'm not going to listen to the negative and the bitter and the broken because, honey, that's not who I am anymore. And yeah, I'm going to say crazy things and people are going to laugh at me. But you know what? I got this crown on my head and I don't care what you say. I don't care what you think about me. Because I've seen miracle after miracle after miracle. I don't care what you say because my soul is secure and I walk with peace. And his goodness sustains me. He doesn't just say, rise up. But he says... Get some food so you can stay on your feet, so that you can keep walking, so that you can keep living, so that you don't go back to that place where you came from. Attributive dignity is about calling you into the place of the image of God that God created you for and then empowering you to live in that place. Regressive dignity is about reminding you of just how broken you are and pushing you back to that place. A place of maturity for us as followers of Jesus is learning to recognize the difference. Is this the work of the Lord calling me forward into the fullness of what God has for me? Is this voice, is this news report, is this person, is this circumstance, is this situation reminding me who I am as a child of God? Or is this voice, this person, this news report, this circumstance reminding me of my brokenness? Which is it? And the more mature I am, the more that I recognize the difference between the two. And I choose that thing which is leading me to life. And then the next step is I multiply that into others. I join Jesus in looking at others and seeing them as God created them. If we could, if we could get this series deep into our heart. You want to end racism? Practice attributive dignity. Because as long as we're regressive and we practice regressive dignity, racism will continue to be a problem. Classism will continue to be a problem. Injustice in the world will continue to be an issue. As long as we respond to and treat others the way the enemy treats others, as long as we behave that way, we will always live under the bondage of brokenness. But when we come to a place where we join with Jesus in seeing others the way that God has created them, and we call them forward in that place and treat them and speak to them and behave with them in such a way that is pulling out of them the identity that Christ has for them instead of agreeing with the brokenness of the enemy, we will be a force that he's called us to be on the earth and his kingdom truly will but I pray for this people this week, everything that they do, everything that they put their hand to, may they walk in the favor and the blessing of God. Everything they put their hands to this week, Lord, may their chin be lifted, may their eyes be lifted, may their chest 
puff out as they realize they're not walking in their own might or their own authority, but they're walking in your might and your authority as children of God. That it would not be pride, but it would be confidence in who we are as followers of Jesus. God, I pray right now, bless us in our jobs, bless us in our homes, in our relationships. Those of us who are parents, help us. Lord, let everything we do be for your glory. Lord, these people are beautiful in your image, beautiful. Lord, may they know it. May they live and walk in it. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.